Welcome to an updated episode of Where's William Tyrrell? With me today to discuss the latest developments is Dr. Xanthi Mallet. She's a criminologist at the University of Newcastle. Welcome, Xanthi. Hi. Firstly, I just wanted to start today by saying that there are suppression orders in place which prevent us from revealing the identity of the child involved in the assault case against the foster mother, who is not William. And those suppression orders prevent us from even revealing the gender of that child, which is why we're going to be speaking about it in the way that we will. And as always, we are still obviously not able to identify the foster parents either. So since our last episode, at the end of last year, the foster mother was charged with supplying false information to the New South Wales Crime Commission. The hearing for this charge was held last week, and I sat in on that hearing for the full two days. Before we go into what happened in that hearing, we need to explain how this charge came about. It's quite complicated because it does involve the investigation into William's disappearance, but the charge itself is not relevant to his case at all. So bear with us as we try to explain all of it. So the strike force investigating William's disappearance under its third leader being Superintendent David Laidlaw sought help from the Crime Commission on the case in October 2021. Xanthi, can you just start by briefly explaining how the Crime Commission can help in an investigation like this? Yeah, the Crime Commission has powers that other bodies don't have, so they can actually compel people to speak. And if you are not truthful or you withhold information, um, there can be serious consequences, including you can be sent to prison for that. So they can basically provide you with a level of protection and that you won't be charged for anything that you disclose to the Crime Commission, but they can compel you to share evidence. So it's essentially giving the police the ability to question someone under oath without being in a criminal court, compelling them to answer questions, but without, I suppose, facing consequences of what they might disclose. Exactly. So they won't be charged. You can't raise charges as a result of anything that's disclosed during the Crime Commission questioning, but they have very wide-ranging powers to kind of ask whatever they want during those those periods. So yes, it's a good way of eliciting information from people under kind of quite significant conditions that they can be prosecuted if they fail to disclose or lie under those circumstances. So why would a strike force like this, police investigating a murder case, why would they turn to the Crime Commission? Is it because they've kind of run out of other options or it's a normal thing to do? Well, I mean, the Crime Commission has a number of functions here. The police have said that they don't believe that William was killed intentfully. They believe it was an accident. So what they were really looking to do is what, find out what happened to William and where is he? That's their primary concern is finding out where William is. And so this was a way of them being able to question the foster mother under oath, as you mentioned, and ask her if she if she had basically disposed of William's body, and therefore she wouldn't face consequences if she was truthful. So really, they, they were using this as a mechanism to access information about William, even though the crime commission charges related, as you say, to a totally different and unrelated offence. And so the only offence that you can really be charged for in this scenario is if you do not tell the truth and they can prove that you didn't tell the truth. Exactly. And that would come out really through cross-examination. They would keep questioning somebody in the Crime Commission and until they basically slipped up and perjured themselves. And then they would be able to demonstrate that they had not been truthful. Right. It was revealed during last week's hearing that the strike force used the Crime Commission in part, as you said, interview William's foster mother, who, as we revealed in previous episodes, has recently become their prime suspect. 
though I want to stress here at the outset, they have not ever presented any evidence to support this theory, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So the foster mother was questioned over two days in the Crime Commission in October last year about the disappearance of her foster son, William Tyrrell. It was also revealed that police had planted listening devices in her house and in their cars and tapped their phones prior to the Crime Commission hearing. That is both her and William's foster father's phones and cars. Before we talk about what has been revealed during the questioning at the Crime Commission in regards to the investigation into William Tyrrell and the current police theory, let's first discuss the nature of the charge that was levelled against her being lying to the Crime Commission during that hearing last year, which then brought us to the criminal hearing last week. In doing so, we'll be referring to two different hearings, the first being the Crime Commission hearing held last year, which is then the subject of the second hearing, the criminal hearing held last week. So for clarity, we'll refer to the Crime Commission hearing as that and last week's hearing as last week's hearing. Hopefully, our listeners will be able to differentiate between the two. It's a bit of a complicated one. Yeah, it is. So during the Crime Commission hearing, they asked her several questions about whether or not she'd ever hit another child in her care, not William Tyrrell. We legally can't identify this child who is the subject of these questions in any way. The court heard she was asked if she'd ever hit the child and she responded saying that she had hit them this year, smacking them on the leg. She also admitted to kicking the child. She was then asked specifically if she'd ever hit the child with a wooden spoon and she replied, never. So police claim that was a deliberate lie and she was then charged with providing false or misleading information to the Crime Commission. The prosecution revealed the listening devices planted in the foster mother and foster father's home captured a heated argument between the foster mum and the child in her care. They played that audio in court. It was quite difficult to listen to. It allegedly depicted the foster mother hitting the child with a wooden spoon as a form of punishment. The child could be heard screaming and crying, saying no, 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 followed by the sound of what appeared to be a smack and then more crying. The foster mum wiped away tears in the courtroom as this audio was played. They also played a recording from a phone tap of a conversation between the foster mother and foster father where she can be heard telling him that she had hit the child with a wooden spoon after the child had misbehaved. She was heard saying she hit the child really hard with that wooden spoon and the child didn't even cry. Prosecution then called Detective Sergeant Andrew Lonergan to the stand as a witness. He is a leading detective on the William Tyrrell case and he went through all the evidence against her in regards to this charge of lying to the Crime Commission about that wooden spoon and that obviously included those covert recordings. Now, in regards to the actual charge against her, which was the subject of this hearing last week, the prosecution summed up their case by arguing the foster mother had deliberately lied to the Crime Commission when she said she'd never hit the child with a wooden spoon because she had done so and would have clearly remembered that she had done so. The defence argued this was simply a mistake and that it didn't make sense for her to freely admit to hitting and kicking the child when she was asked, only to lie about using a wooden spoon. Ultimately, Magistrate Miranda Moody sided with the defence, finding her not guilty, telling the court she can't discount the possibility that the foster mum was just mistaken. She told the court the fact that she did admit to other serious allegations when they were put to her, and given how distressed she was during the questioning about her foster son's disappearance, noting she seemed aghast by the allegations put to her. She also said she wasn't given the chance to correct herself at the time, 
because the wooden spoon was only mentioned once and then the person questioning her moved on to another topic. She told the court if they had continued to press her on the wooden spoon allegation, perhaps given her some context to the allegation, she may have corrected herself. Xanthi, before we get to all the information that came out during this hearing last week about the William Tyrrell investigation, what do you make of how this case against the foster mother played out last week? How common is it for someone to be charged with providing false information to the Crime Commission? And how difficult is it to prove that someone has lied? It's not very common. And again, to me, this feels like just part of a strategy, a border strategy by New South Wales homicide. And so this is all about leveraging pressure on the foster mother. They clearly, and they've stated publicly, clearly believe that she knows more than she has disclosed. And so they, you know, have used the process of the Crime Commission and laid these charges to keep that pressure up on her in the hopes that she will then disclose more information about what happened to William. So this is an unusual step for New South Wales police to take. And it is very difficult to prove that somebody intentionally lied. And I think that this was the correct outcome because determining beyond doubt that somebody is intentionally misled rather than under the, the, the duress of the Crime Commission questioning and the stress that that would lead to, I think that, you know, somebody could easily make an error, especially when questioning has moved to a different topic, as you mentioned. So I think that the right result was achieved. And I think this is all part of a, a broader strategy by New South Wales Police to just keep that pressure on. Now, as we said, the charge the foster mother was ultimately acquitted of last week had nothing to do with William's disappearance. But despite that, much of the testimony in court did relate to the William Tyrrell investigation because that's what brought her to the Crime Commission in the first place. And the hearing last week did feel a lot like it was about the William Tyrrell investigation, even though it wasn't relevant at all. So when the foster mother's defence barrister, John Stratton, cross-examined Detective Sergeant Lonergan on the stand, he began by questioning him about a conversation he had with the foster mother late last year when he and another detective on the case, Detective Sergeant Scott Jamison, visited her and grilled her about William's disappearance, accusing her of being involved and pressuring her to confess. The court heard they said, you will have to live with it. Today is the day you make a decision for William. We understand decisions have been made for different people for different reasons. We aren't guessing. We aren't bluffing. We know why. We know how. We know where he is. The court heard at one point the foster mother responded by saying, why haven't you got him? Mr Stratton put it to the detective that that was a deliberate lie, that they didn't know where he was. So Detective Sergeant Monaghan denied this was a lie saying they did believe they knew where he was and specified exactly where they thought he'd been buried. The court heard they had formed a theory that the foster mother had found William dead at her mother's property after an accidental fall from the balcony and had put his body into her mother's car, driving it a short distance away and buried it. He specified the location they believed he was buried when he told her they knew exactly where he was, which was the site on Batar Creek Road where they conducted that extensive search and dig last year, which we've covered in previous episodes. This was put to Detective Sergeant Monaghan by the defence barrister that he must have been lying when he said they knew where William was buried because they didn't find him there. But he still denied that was a lie, saying they believed they did know where he was. It was then revealed later in the hearing, based on what was said at the Crime Commission, that this theory was at least in part based on the fact that the foster mother had taken a drive down Batar Creek Road shortly after William went missing, before returning to the house to search there. She claimed this was just part of her attempt to look for him in case he had wandered off that far, 
but police theorised that she'd actually driven there to dispose of his body. Neither officer who was questioned on the stand offered any further evidence to support this theory whatsoever, nor any motive as to why she might hide his body instead of calling for help, and she repeatedly denied having any involvement in his disappearance every time this theory was put to her. We now know this new theory prompted that extensive search and dig last year, which we covered in this podcast. They searched that specific area extensively where they were apparently certain William was buried, but they found nothing. That was also confirmed at the hearing, which we obviously already suspected. They found no sign of William there whatsoever. During his cross-examination of Detective Lonergan, the defence barrister put to him that you have formed the false belief that the foster mother knows where William Tyrrell is. He responded, I have formed the view that she knows where William is. He also put to him that the foster mother had made public complaints about the police investigation before becoming a suspect. He accused the officer of trying to break her spirit, which he denied. Detective Sergeant Lonergan did admit on the stand, as he mentioned Xanthi, that pressuring the foster mother to confess to what they believed she had done was part of the motivation for charging her with the crime of lying to the Crime Commission. Detective Sergeant Jamison also took the stand. He was with Detective Sergeant Lonergan for this confrontation with the foster mother, and it was also put to him that he lied when he said they knew where William's body was buried. He also denied it was a lie, telling the court, we haven't found his body, but I still believe what I've said then. Xanthi, police still seem to be maintaining they knew where he was, they perhaps still know where he is, they say they know what happened to him, but they also admit they didn't find him when they searched the area they believe he is buried. What do you make of this? Well, I've never seen anything quite like this. You probably remember as clearly as I do back in December last year when New South Wales Police announced they were going to do the the search, the most recent search for William's remains, and they were so strident in that press conference in saying that they were going to find William's remains within the next two weeks and demonstrate what had happened and ultimately who was responsible. And I was quite taken back by that because I've never seen a police force be quite that overt and confident. And ultimately it came to nothing. So clearly they had very strong belief in the search that they were undertaking. But almost a year later, then we're no further forward, I don't believe. So They have obviously formed strong opinions. We obviously, as the public, don't have access to all of the information that they do. But to say that they believe that the foster mother is involved and she disposed of William's remains, no information has been released publicly to support that. So that's my concern, that the police have formed very strong opinions and are happy to share those publicly, but not happy to share the evidence, if there is any, on which they are founded. I've never seen an investigation unfold quite like this, and I'm concerned that basically the court of public opinion will already now believe that the foster mother is guilty when no information has been provided to support that. And people close to the case that I've spoken to, none of them are aware of any further evidence against the foster mother that the police have gathered. So if it exists, they're keeping it extremely close to their chests or it doesn't exist. And this is just a theory that they're trying really hard to prove or to support and so far they have not been able to with that search last year and with the pressuring of the foster mother. 
all their efforts to pressure her to confess to what they believe she's done have so far only amounted to her repeated denials. So it leaves us in an ambiguous position as to where we go from here. But the defence barrister also questioned Detective Sergeant Lonergan last week about why he or another officer did not inform Child and Family Services of the alleged assaults against the child, which they caught on their audio surveillance devices, if they were genuinely concerned for the welfare of that child. He accused him of prioritising their desire to keep the recordings a secret from the foster mother in order to ambush her at the Crime Commission hearing. He denied that that was their main priority. Later in the hearing last week, part of the transcript of the foster mother's questioning during that secret Crime Commission hearing was read in court. The court heard the foster mother sobbed through most of the accusations that she was involved in William's disappearance. It was put to her, quote, it was an accident that he fell down off that veranda. Upon finding him, she interrupted, but I didn't find him. Then he said, I want to suggest you did find him. You put his body in your mother's car and that's why you took the drive that day. He adds, just to be clear, there's no suggestion you harmed him or caused his death. You found him and moved his body. I didn't, she said. She repeatedly denied this sobbing and saying, God, I can't believe you guys are saying that I did that. This is obviously the same hearing where she was questioned about the unrelated assaults on another child in her care, not William, which allegedly happened recently and were the subject of this criminal hearing last week. The prosecution argued that questioning was relevant to William's disappearance because of tendency evidence. Can you just summarise, Anthony, what is tendency evidence? Tendency evidence is basically evidence that demonstrates a pattern of behaviour. So if somebody, uh, in a, just as an example, if somebody has a tendency to be violent towards adults, they can use that to demonstrate that they're more likely to be guilty of a subsequent offence because they have a tendency to undertake those kind of behaviours. So what the police are trying to say here is there's some sort of link between the alleged assault on this child and what happened to William. But where it falls down for me is they've clearly said that they don't believe William was killed intentionally. They think it was an accident. They presented to her the theory, and it is just a theory, that she found William deceased and disposed of his remains. Therefore, she was not active in harming William. So they're trying to tie these two things together, saying there is a tendency for violence, except then they're arguing, on the other hand, that they're not saying that because she wasn't violent towards William. It was an accident, they believe. So they're saying that there's tendency, but then saying there isn't. So it's, again, very confusing to me, and I don't see any evidence of tendency in this case. Yeah, and the reason why they were defending this in court is because the magistrate uh, actually questioned them during the hearing about why these questions were being asked at that crime commission hearing in relation to disappearance of William Tyrrell, and they said, well, it's tendency. But then later said, but we don't think that she's killed him. They actually conceded as well during this hearing that she is of good character because the defence tried to present some evidence about her lack of criminal history and as you know, often in these hearings, to avoid a lengthy hearing, the prosecution will often concede a point to the defence so that you don't have to continue presenting evidence to support it. So that's what they did. They conceded that she is of good character with no criminal history. And obviously it was then revealed they don't think that she killed William. They think that she simply disposed of his body. Surely, therefore, it makes it prejudicial mm. for any later charges if they were to be laid. Yeah, the way that this case is playing out, it 
there are a lot of avenues where you can see that it's going to make it difficult for any prosecution if one ever comes about. Yeah, if I were the defence, I would have been leaping all over this because I thought it was so highly prejudicial because now in the minds of the general public and therefore potentially any jury members, everyone believes that the association between an alleged assault on a separate child and William's disappearance, that's now embedded in people's minds. So I've done a number of interviews around this and I keep just saying, it's like my pat, it's like the two are not connected. They have nothing to do with each other. But we're now trying to undo what has happened in the inquiry last week. And if the police do believe that the assaults on the child are somehow connected to what the foster mum may or may not have done when it comes to William, they haven't said what that connection is. Exactly. So far, all they have said is that they believe it was an accident and that she hid the body, which doesn't seem to be relevant to her assaulting another child, allegedly. The fact that they believe that, you've got to remember no charges have ever been laid. So they're making very, very serious allegations in public without backing those up with evidence or charges and that's a huge concern. The foster mother was very emotional when she was found not guilty of this charge of lying to the crime commission. She hugged William's foster father who was there to support her. He was waiting outside the courtroom after the decision. She also hugged Gary Jubilant who was also there to support her and sat through the hearing alongside the rest of the media. She then walked out of the court and made this very brief, very rare and very emotional public statement to the waiting media. Her Honour has given a detailed judgement today about the circumstances surrounding this charge being brought against me. She's found me not guilty of lying to the Crime Commission. With this behind me, I hope that police focus on finding William and what happened to him. Thank you. Xanthi, this isn't the first time that she's pleaded with police to focus on finding William. We know she's expressed concern before on this podcast that police aren't doing their job. Where do you think the investigation goes from here? Well, that's a really good question, isn't it? I mean, I guess from the outside, and it is purely an outside perspective, there could be a concern that the police have developed tunnel vision. Obviously, we don't know whether the lines of inquiry there are following at the moment. But the ones that have been publicly expressed, I mean, back last year, they said that the foster mother was the only suspect they had in this case, which is quite extraordinary given the number of other potential persons of interest that there are. And so from the outside, is there the potential for tunnel vision? It seems possible without being embedded in the investigation. And if that's the case, you know, what are the lines of inquiry and not being followed that perhaps should be? So you're right, you know, the, the focus here shouldn't, shouldn't be on leveraging pressure on one person. The focus should be on finding William. And I think all of the different, the Crime Commission, the case last week, I think it's become a huge distraction from the fact we still have a missing little boy. He's been missing for over eight years now. And everything has become about this pantomime of what the police are doing now in terms of the foster mother. And William seems to have been forgotten. So I would like to just echo what she said outside court. And I'd like to see the focus back on William. And, you know, I think there are some big questions about some of these investigative practices. Yes, they're trying to leverage pressure to get answers, but, you know, to what cost and where are the ethics around some of these practices that they've been using? Yeah, and let's not forget, we are also supposedly in the middle of a very lengthy coronial inquest, which has not yet wrapped up. We haven't had results for that yet. We've been told sort of off the record that there will be more hearings 
for that inquest based on all this recent new information that's come to light about their new theory, this new search. But we've been expecting new hearings since, what, March this year? So, you know, it's like if this is about the alleged assault of another unrelated child, why do they need to be concluded when the coronal inquest is about determining what happened to William and where is he and who's ultimately responsible? That is nothing to do with the alleged assault on another child. So I don't see the, the requirement for this pause. Again, we're seeing these two things conflated, which should be entirely separate. Absolutely. And this coronal inquest has been dragging on for longer than any other inquest I've ever been aware of. And so far, we still don't have a date for the resumption of this inquest. As you've just mentioned, separate from William's case, the foster parents are still facing unrelated charges, including assaulting a child in their care and intimidation. The foster father was also charged with lying to the Crime Commission last year, and his hearing is expected in February next year. But as I've said, none of that has anything to do with William's disappearance. In the case that is the subject of this podcast, we've now heard several different theories over the years about what happened to William, formed by different detectives and police involved in this case over the years. One thing all of those theories and suspects have in common is that police don't seem to have enough evidence to charge anyone with the crime or even to strongly support any of their theories. Sadly, it seems we're still no closer to any real answers about this little boy's fate more than eight years after he vanished. And as we close out our 22nd episode of Where's William Tyrrell, exactly three years after we first launched this podcast, I must let our listeners know this will be my very last episode as I'm leaving Network 10. I launched this podcast five years after William vanished in the hope of shedding some light on what remained a total mystery, to give a voice to those involved and to ensure William is not forgotten. I've been covering this case from the day he went missing in September 2014, and I have vowed to see this investigation through to the end, which I had hoped would have come long before now. I might be moving on from Channel 10, but this case is not over. Not until he's found and not until his loved ones and the town of Kendall are given the closure they deserve. Thank you very much, Xanthi, for being with me again today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Leo. It's a real privilege to be part of your podcast over the last three years. And I feel the same frustrations you do that we still appear no further forward, but I remain hopeful that one day we'll get answers. I do too. One way or another, we have to find out what happened to this little boy. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Mm-hmm.